Now, some of you don't realise, I, I came to faith when I was round about, I think it was around about year eight time in school, so that made me 12, 13-ish, something like that. And I suppose that the room where I came to faith in was very similar to this. Um, it was down in the Midlands, a uh, similar sort of room, there was a stage similar to this, a bit, bit bigger, um, with a baptistry underneath, very similar. But the thing that caught my eye, week after week after week after week, I've been going there, my mum sent me along to junior church there, I've been going along week after week. The thing that caught my eye was a big sign that was written across above, sort of where we would have our um, projector go up there. Very simple, four words, our God is able. Our God is able. And I used to stare at that and wonder and look at it and think, yeah, he's able. Yeah, he made the earth and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, of course he's able. He's big, he's strong, he's sort of like a bit bigger version of us. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think I'd ever plumb the depths of those four words until I'd looked at this little bit of the Bible here today. I'm absolutely buzzing off this. I'm amazed that finally those words that I looked at, that sentence actually finally, in some degree, and I know I've got many more years of plumbing the depths of it, our God is able. So stop for a second and ask yourself, have you got the profound, life-changing oomph of our God is able? Can you see it there in verse 25? Now to him who is able, he can make something happen. Let me shut this door. I'm going to make that happen. Somebody's taking the mic. Our God is able. He can do it. He's capable. He has strength. Nothing can stand in his way. And if he says he's going to do it, he can do it. Of course, that's the human dream, isn't it? In so many ways, I wake up every morning wishing that Steve could do it. I don't think I've ever got to the end of the day and managed to achieve that. But it is the human dream, is it? The idea that actually we have it within us, the capability to overcome and to fix all the problems. I am able to fix my problems. I am able to get a name for myself. I am able to pay those bills. Don't ask very much. Don't want to better do that. I am able to, to do good to the people around me. I'm able to fight back. I'm able to win. I'm able to get ahead. I'm able to put right what is wrong. I'm able to bring people to faith. I wish we, some of us pray that for our kids, don't we? I'm able to even control my kids. That would be a nice place to start, wouldn't it? I'm able to stay healthy. I wish I was able to make all those things happen. But I can't. I wish I could be able. But I'm not. It's all over the stories, isn't it? It's all over the stories in books. It's all over the stories in films. We were watching a film the other night. It's uh, one of these Hollywood blockbusters just come out on DVD or something like that. And it had this theme of somebody... We we love seeing stories of people who we think might actually be able. So it was one of these um, uh, sort of CIA thriller things, you know, where there's international um, covert operations going on, that kind of thing. So here was the main character. And... She was a great character to watch purely because it seemed like she was able. You know, she was able to sniff a trap a mile away. She was able to dodge any bullet no matter how skillfully shot. She was able to overcome any security system. She was able to confound and absolutely pummel elite forces. And most importantly of all, she was able to do all of that without a blotch on her makeup and always looking hot. Now that is a woman who is able. 
And then I have to remind myself that, hold on, it's just a fairy tale. It's not true. Because people aren't that able. You see, those kind of people don't exist. They don't exist out there. They don't exist in here. It's a dream. We're not able. And the fact is that almost every day we learn that lesson afresh. That just for us to get through the day and keep our head above water is almost a miracle, isn't it? You see, we're not able. But Paul is buzzing here because right at the end of the letter, after unpacking the gospel, after unpacking what God has done against all the odds, he is able to stay there, stand there and say, Now to him who is able, really and truly, he is able. God is big. Here at the end of Romans, the answer is clear for our problem. We may be flimsy. We may be prone to crumble. We may not be strong. We may not be able. We may be victims of whatever comes at life. But God isn't. God is able. You get that? So look again at verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you. That means to make you strong. To him who is able, you think of all the things he could have written at the end of that letter there. You know, we've been hearing them through the book of Romans. To him who is able to create. To him who is able to um, squish his enemies. To him who is able to find forgiveness. All of that gets summarised in something bigger. To him who is able to establish you. And remember, he's not talking to an individual here. Because that's too easy for him. He's talking to a bunch of people. A people who belong to him and he's saying, Our God is able. Look at him. You're not. You're rubbish. But our God's able. It's got there that word established, doesn't it? Established. That's sort of got the idea of um, make something strong. In other versions it says, who is able, uh, to him who is able to strengthen you. So it's the idea of um, building on a foundation that is unshakable. Making something storm-proof. Making something earthquake-proof. Against all the damages and threats and all the worries of life now. Uh, Kev, you're very welcome, mate. Take a seat. Somebody will pass you back a Bible. Janice, have you got your copy of the Bible? Hand it to Kev, uh, to Kev and tell him where we're, we're looking at. That's great. Okay? Lovely. So it's got this idea to fix something so it's absolutely immovable. Now I know it's a little bit sad, but when I used to be at um, university up in town, we used to go walk past the bu- uh, building site off the bus every day. And you know, I put the big hoardings up. I sort of would go along, sort of pushing the hoardings just to try and find a little space. Because I heard noise going on behind the hoardings. And I just, I like building sites. Sorry, I just do. Uh, so I'd push the hoardings until I could find a little gap. And I was willing to be late to my lectures, which weren't that great anyway, just when I found a gap so I could watch them. And the thing that I liked watching was the thing that going, and it was, it was and you like think it's sad, it's got one of those massive big machines that are driving piles down into the floor. You know, it's just some concrete thing, and they sort of mark it out and then drive it down. Whopping great thing, like a whopping great sledgehammer. This is what cost us every day. I used to love it. It was great. And then what they do, they put, once those were in, they put bolts on the top and come along, big concrete slabs and fix them. I can tell you exactly what happened because I used to miss my lectures to watch it every day. What were they doing? They were establishing that building so it would be unmovable. And that's what God does with his people. 
Now, have you got any idea how difficult it is for God to establish somebody like you and me? Any idea at all? Well, if you read through Romans and we're right to the end of it now, then you would do. But I think at the same time, we do struggle, don't we, to figure out how difficult some things can be. It's not just that he's going to rescue us, it's that he's going to establish us both now and for all eternity so nothing that comes against us can knock us. And all the things that came against us were there. Our own sins, the sins of other people, the struggles and hardships, the pains of life, faith in death, the accusation of Satan against us. And worse than and most difficult of all to deal with is God's own right wrath and anger against us for treating them as nothing. It's not easy and it's not straightforward. All the way from the beginning of Romans we've seen that effectively we're the Humpty Dumpty people, aren't we? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great... Didn't you have a childhood? (laughs) Humpty Dumpty had a great... All the king's horses and all the king's men... We live in a Humpty Dumpty world and it's broken by us because we've had a great fall. It is our sin that pushes God away. We saw in Romans, didn't we? We try and fix it. We try to glue Humpty Dumpty back together again with religion. Now that's going to wreck it, isn't it? All religion does is divide people and make people more and more proud and arrogant. That won't work. No, Humpty Dumpty is in a world of chaos. We're in a world of chaos. Personal chaos, spiritual chaos, global chaos... And all the king's horses and all the king's men cannot put put us back together again. But Paul is saying, God can. You see, we're finite. Sometimes we can't even envision how much we need God to rescue us. That that word of God putting things back together in the Bible is is wisdom. It's about how things relating things together. That's why so often God is described as the wise God. In fact, at the end there in verse 27, it's described to the only wise God. You see chapter 16, verse 27 there? The only wise God. He can figure out... You know, I walk into a messy, untidy room, and I don't... What's my first instinct? Ah! Where do I start? Now maybe you're good at that kind of thing, but imagine that at sort of three or four, if that's that's in one dimension, imagine that in like ten dimensions, that's how messy life is. I mean, imagine, I I don't know who first told you the gospel, but imagine how difficult it was to get that person to you. First of all, God had to convert them. Who did he use to do that? And all the things that brought them to that particular date, and then they happened to be there at just the right time, having had you at just the right point where you're ready to receive what God has to say to you. It's very, very complicated, isn't it? It's like poor little Emily the other day, you know, when we uh, had that um, indiscretion with my car and I snapped the back axle and the wheels fell off. Little Emily came in, as only little Emily can do as a three-year-old, and looks and wags her finger at Daddy and goes, put them wheels back on. She hadn't got a clue. She hadn't got a clue what it would take to put those wheels back on. Then I've got to get on the phone to Dave and say, Dave, can you please give me a lift up to the, to the garage? Which garage? I don't know yet. I haven't found one. So I get on the phone and I ring around all the different garages and try and find and the junkyards to try and find the right kind of axle that needs to be fitted. And when I've done that, I ring them all back and try and negotiate for a better price. And they're all trying to like pull the wool over my eyes. So when I've actually found a garage, I need to be able to arrange for Dave to be able to get me up there and, and sort that. And then when I've done that, I've got to go and find some money. And when you're in my house, finding money is very difficult indeed. So once I've got the money and I've got the Dave, I need some spanners. Where am I going to get some spanners from? Ah, I've got all the ones except the right size. So what am I going to do now? Ah, Ring somebody, start ringing them around. 
By the time I've got all the way through Saturday morning, we've spent hours under a puddle. We've even got Fiona in there underneath the car fixing stuff. And we've finally got the car back together and the wheels are back on. Emily walks outside and, hip, out time. <laughs> See, she hasn't even got a clue. Have you got a clue what it means for Paul to be able to say, now to him who is able to establish you. He had to move heaven and earth. And all the way through Romans, we've seen the obstacles. It's God's wrath. It's our blindness. It's our pride. We don't want to be rescued, do we? We want to rescue ourselves. It's our sinful desires worshipping just about everything else. It's our false worship of things. It's the temptation of the evil one. It's the stupidity of our heart, mind, and, uh, heart and mind that says, I can overcome sin. It's the reality of death. But God is not confounded. He is able. He can't be thrown off. He's not caused to think twice. Nobody can pull the wool over his eyes. We sing that song, don't we? He is mighty to save. Has, have you grasped that? There's three things to show how he does this. And I assure you when I say briefly, we're going to, just going to fly through them in a minute. But first of all, I just need to say that before we look at why it is and how it is that God will establish and strengthen us. And it's this. It means, I need to say this, it means that church here is to be a place where it is safe to say, I'm not strong. In fact, please, don't come with your strength. Don't come on a Sunday morning with your supposed strength. I think back to when I was a kid at school and uh, the way that you look cool and the way that you look established and the way that you look strong was because you'd got more gold football stickers than everybody else. Or else you could do the yo-yo trick, you know, the around the world thing, you could do it twice rather than just once. I'm strong, I can do that. Or you came in with the extra big fat steel marley. Yeah? I'm strong. And I look back now and now I'm pathetic. And yet, we march into church with our nice clothes and the to-do list ticked off from this week or the fact we have actually managed to pay that bill or um, little achievements that we've had and we walk into church. I'm strong. And with a gentle fatherly hand, he says, oh, pathetic. You're not strong. You're not. You can't fend off cancer. You can't even secure your own house against a burglar. You can't fix your reputation. You can't even rebellion-proof your kids. And in this economic climate, you can't even guarantee your job. Don't be strong. You're a walking candle in the wind. You can't establish yourself. And when you try to, when you come into the gospel and you're sitting under the sound of the gospel and you try to establish yourself, what you do is you cut yourself off from the only thing that can establish you, which is him. So please, can we decide to be a church here where it's okay to say we're not strong? It's okay to be a church here who, who are saying, I need a strength outside of me. And the things that I tend to grab onto as my strength are like, pathetic. 
So now I've said that very quickly, let me take you through these three quick things. Um, it, it's a very complicated sentence, this, these verses 25 through to 27 here. They're, it's a complicated sentence, and some of the different versions of the Bible have sort of translated it slightly differently. But as best I can tell, um, there's three times in there it says, according to. In other words, this is what does it. Now you can only actually see, um, hold on, uh, one there, according to the Revelation. But basically the three are, right, you see in verse 25 where it says, by my gospel, that's actually according to my gospel. Then there's according to the revelation of mis- the mystery hidden in long, uh, long past. And then uh, in the middle of verse 26, it's according to the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him. Okay, so there's three there, and I just want to bring these out as a summary of Romans. I'm just going to do very, very quickly. Okay, this is how he establishes us, how he is able. And the first one there is by my gospel, or according to my gospel, and the proclamation of Jesus Christ. Now, there's plenty of people who are prepared to talk about God, but there's fewer people who are prepared to talk about Jesus. And yet the claim of Paul in this letter has been, don't talk about God unless you're talking about Jesus. Because if you don't know who Jesus is, you do not know who God is. I may have told you this before. I used to talk to my nan who lived on the other side of the world. She lived in New Zealand in Rotorua. Or, you know, all those hot springs with the smelly gas and all that horribleness. Smelled like um, bad eggs. But that wasn't her age. That was just the area she lived in. And she um, she was... speak to her on the phone every now and again and uh, I talked to her, she, she knew I was a pastor she was very proud of that for some bizarre reason and she talked about how she prayed every night uh, and, I, t- I, and uh, I talked to her and, and just say things like, and I'm really glad that you're turning to Jesus, she said, oh no no no, I, I like the idea of God but I, I just don't understand this Jesus business and I'd say, no you don't know Jesus, you don't know God Because the way God establishes people is through Jesus Christ the Saviour. In fact, here's a rule of thumb. If people don't get why Jesus... If if for somebody Jesus isn't precious to them, it's because they don't realise that they need a Saviour. They still are living under this illusion that they are strong and get themselves in with God. So if somebody devalues Jesus, they don't get that they need to be established by God. If they only like Jesus as an example or as a king, then they won't be able to sing this hymn. Do you remember this hymn? How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes his sorrows, it heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. Do you know that one? Do you know that one? It's a believer's song, isn't it? Paul says you'll be established when you so hear Jesus that he is sweet and he is precious to you. And this is wonderful, isn't it? Because God establishes us through a saviour, not through a set of rules. So it's not that I want to get in with God, so I'll keep the rules to get in with him and then keep them some more to stay in with him. That's not Christianity and that's not good news. It's not that, well, Jesus forgives me and then to stay in with him I have to keep the rules. That's not Christianity and that's not good news. From A to Z, not A, B, C, A to Z is the gospel of Jesus, the Saviour, who saves me and goes on keeping my standing before God for me. He saves me, now that is good news. Because who has to be strong to do it? God, and he is able, so we've got a chance. Because God is able to establish us. How? 
through Jesus Christ, the gospel, the proclamation. Why are you never, ever, ever going to go and hear, come here on a Sunday morning and hear a sermon that doesn't mention Jesus? Because Jesus Christ is the only one who can strengthen and establish you forever. And you need to hear him every week, don't you? Don't you? Secondly, I told you it would be quick. Secondly, this is the complicated one. Don't fade out. He's able to establish us according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God. That by the command of the eternal God probably fits with the next bit so we'll we'll leave that bit off for the moment fit it with the next bit, okay? So, how is he able to establish us? Number one, by the gospel of Jesus Christ but number two, by revealing his plan of all history. Now our girls, they're at that age where they love to be told secrets. And we all like to be told secrets. We all like to be on with inside knowledge, don't we? This idea that I actually know something. And according to this, Paul is saying that the whole of the Old Testament was an open secret that was yet to be revealed. You see, when you've got the book of Romans, which he's unpacked for us, you sort of understand how the whole of the Old Testament was showing, all through the Jewish nation, this is what we're going to look at over the Bible overview, was showing that we need a saviour. That all of mankind's schemes to strengthen and establish themselves before God would fail. They couldn't obey God and they didn't obey God. When he said, keep the Ten Commandments, it was only a matter of hours before they broke all of them. No chance. So that system, God trying to help us to get that in, that wouldn't work. And the mystery was only revealed, finally and ultimately in the death and resurrection of Jesus, that somebody would have to die to pay for our sin, and somebody would have to conquer the power of death and sin forever. Only that, you look back, you go, oh yeah, it's been saying it all the way through the Bible, that was the only thing that will get the job done. So you don't need a password to get this secret knowledge, you just need to look at the cross. That is the plan, and that is the purpose of God. And the thing I'm most encouraged about through this, Paul, he's been very big on this. So all of chapters 9 to 11, do you remember there's that issue of why are there some Jewish people who wouldn't believe? Why is the gospel going out to all the nations? I think it's basically to say that the biggest threat to God doing something in this world and fixing us was from us. And our sin would get in the way. And is our sin and our stubbornness something that is big enough to stop God saving people. Now stop, don't let that one fly by you because that's really important because you lot are going to fail before the end of the day. And you need to know today that God is big enough to establish and strengthen you despite the fact that you're going to fail before today. Is he free enough of constraints to do it? And in this letter, Paul has proven that God can do what he wants to do. He can have mercy on whom he will have mercy and he wants to have mercy. He will do what he wants to do. And what he wants to do is be merciful, even to Israel, whose sin couldn't stop him from being merciful. He is able to get that. Let me just put it this way, okay? This is great. Why is it great? It means he can't be hoodwinked, he can't be inhibited, he can't be bound, he can't be confounded. He is free to save anybody, but bound to save no one so that if he does save you, it's because he wanted to. And he wants to. And that is the mystery that was hidden in ages past, 
in that Old Testament, but when Christ came, it's like, oh yeah, he can save even me. He doesn't have to. He's free. But he does. Thirdly and finally, what else establishes us? It's the command to obedience. Can you see that here? So I'm going to split it where, you see where, by the command of the eternal God, you see that there? By the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey. If you've got your book of Romans, very quickly, flick back to, to verse, chapter 1 and verse 7. So go back to the beginning of the book of Romans. So it's only about six or seven pages back. Now, could somebody read for us verse 5 and 6? Anybody will do. Go on. Brilliant, that'll do. The obedience that comes from faith. See that there? That's the phrase that's actually back in, flick back over to Romans 16, verse 27. Sorry, verse 26, the end of that. So that all nations might believe and obey him. It's the same phrase as the obedience that comes from faith, or more specifically, the obedience of faith. So what is God able to do? He's able to establish and strengthen people. How does he do it in part? By doing something so amazing that it brings about the obedience of faith. That doesn't mean that we just blindly obey him. It's talking about a special kind of obedience. Obedience that comes from faith. Obedience of faith. Now, I told you this before, it's very easy to get somebody to obey you. Okay? Offer them something they want, or take something from them that they like. I mean, do that with a kid. Because you get sweets. Uh, I'm going to take comfort from you by whacking you with a stick. You can make somebody obey you, but you can't make them want to obey you, can you? You see, the obedience that comes from faith is so changing us that at his command, he can make people who hate him love him. So I'll tell you how. It's all in here, isn't it? It's about his strength. How do most people... Let's say you're talking about a dictator. You can talk about dictators. This is helpful. A fellow called John Piper talks about it. It's very helpful. You think about a, a dictator. What's the very best way that they can keep control of their population? Answer? Keep them weak. You stay strong by keeping people weak. So what you do is you remove access to education. You move at, uh, remove access to money. You remove any kind of opportunity. The last thing that a dictator wants is people who are very, vaguely clued in, educated, and able to come against them. So how does a dictator keep people, uh, keep himself strong, keep others weak? But what does this strong God do with his people? He finds them in a weakened state, crushed by their own sin, blind to their own lostness, and he says, I am going to rescue you out of your weakness and I am going to make you strong. I'm going to make you a bit like me so that instead of living for your own petty little ideals, what you do is you become somebody who has so tasted my love and grace that you can't keep it to yourself. You want it to spill out to other people. I'm going to make you somebody like me. I'm going to esteem you. I'm going to esteem you. 
so that you rise up and become more and more like me. Now as you hear that, do you want to do what our God says? Do you? Do you want to trust that God? Do you want to be around that God? Do you want him to give you everything? Do you, in short, want to have the obedience that comes from faith? Yes, you do. That is how powerful God is. That is how secure and able he is. He is able to do a wonderful work of grace in our lives such that we want to turn and trust him. And he uses that to establish. You see, at his command, this ruler can raise people up, make them want to follow him. So let's quickly sum up. Let's see where we're up to. Verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you. How? By the gospel of Jesus Christ. How? By the plan worked out that was written in the Old Testament that he can freely pour out his mercy on anybody. How? By the fact that he is so gracious to say that we want to follow him, we want to put our faith and we want to obey him. He is able. But here's the crunch question to finish with. Just because he's able, just because he can do it, will he? Will he establish you? Will he keep you for all eternity? I'm not talking about establishing you now, I'm talking about you establishing you now and for all eternity. Will he do it? Will he? That's the edge of doubt. That's the difficult. Many of you are sitting there going, I know he can. I don't know whether he will. Will he do what he can do? And for that answer, what we'd have to do is look to the centre point of Romans, the high point, the point that if you ever go past it, you've lost it. You have to go to the cross. There at the cross, the one who had all all strength, who was established from eternity past to eternity future, submitted himself to whips, to nails, petty men he who had never struggled before struggled to pull his breath so that you and I can have a strength that will earthquake proof us you see the cross doesn't promise the removal of struggle it promises better than that it promises the establishment of strength so you can stand against any struggle And the cross is our promise of that. Having done that, will he let you go? No. In fact, Paul says he stakes his reputation upon it. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. See, if he can't keep us or he won't keep us, his whole reputation is in question. No, he will not deny himself. He will establish you and me for his glory for all eternity through Christ. Why did the Apostle Paul write the book of Romans? Verse 11 of chapter 1 and verse 25 of chapter 16 tell us. It's so that people like you, people like me and people who were Christians back in Rome might know that our God is able to establish and strengthen us both for now and eternity so that whatever comes our way we would not be ashamed of his power speak his praise and glorify him 
to the watching world. Let me ask you this. A year on, are we more confident in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Oh, I hope so. We're going to sing with the songwriter, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? Died he for me who caused such pain. Why? So that we could be strengthened and sound for him. Take a moment of quiet just while I reclaim a pianist and then we'll sing that one together before we move to the table service. <laughs>